Even Allstate Insurance can't put a stop to all driving hazards. For example, we can't do anything about the early honker. Nor can we help you with this one. And nothing, nothing can stop a blowout whose time has come. But when you need claim service, that's when Allstate can really help. With Allstate, help is as near as the nearest phone. Allstate cuts red tape to give fast claim service. Lots of times we write you a check as soon as we've seen the car. And depending on the state where you live and how you use your car, you may save up to 38% from rates of most other companies. Isn't that right? So see an Allstate agent at your Sears store, Allstate Insurance Center, or just phone us. You're in good hands with Allstate. Are you inspired? So you're probably now asking, you mean now? Am I inspired just now, right this minute? And the answer may be yes or no, but inspiration is transitory. It lasts but a moment. But what a moment, right? When we're in that zone feeling inspired and inspired performance. Science has proven this, by the way. While we're in it, that inspiration, we jump into our life with both feet. Every opportunity seems to awaken another opportunity and another. We transcend the normal experience of whatever it is we're doing, playing the sport or performing our art or designing our business strategy or writing our blog post or changing that diaper or even just visiting with a friend. We're there. No one is better. It removes our limitations, improves our performance, and leaves us feeling exhilarated on the other side. Mastery of work, absorption, creativity, perceived competence, self-esteem, and optimism, these are all consequences of inspiration. In short, and as the popular meme might say it, we do our job like a boss. Except, it is fleeting. It's supernatural. It seems like sometimes it's never going to come back again. Where is my inspiration? I'm staring at the blank screen. I suck at this sport or this musical instrument. My business is only mediocre. My friend thinks I'm boring. My job is pointless. I just can't find the inspiration. So the Oxford Dictionary defines inspiration literally as the action or an act of breathing in or inhaling. So let's do that. Let's take a breath. Those same scientists, by the way, have shown that inspiration really does improve performance and they've also concluded that it is indeed fleeting. It's not something you can make or will to happen. But that doesn't mean you can't improve your chances for inspiration. There were a few keys they point to, but I'll point just two out here. The first is an openness to experience. Basically meaning that if you're more open to the idea and conscious of that openness to be inspired, you might actually trigger it. That's where that breath comes in. Take it. It hopefully relieves you of the pressure to try and force inspiration. The second is exposure to inspiration. These scientists found that the more inspiring things that those that were studied were exposed to, the more inspired they became. Michael Jordan's 1991 championship Bulls versus Lakers Game 2 performance. Kerry Strug's 1996 Olympic landing on one leg where her other leg was completely hurt and securing the gold for the USA. The first time Michael Jackson did the moonwalk. Every single episode of The West Wing. The clear eyes, full heart speech from Friday Night Lights. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And of course, President Whitmore from Independence Day. 
But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. And that's the theme of our show today, inspiration. Moving from apathy to possibility, finding it more and more and more and hugging the chaos. Get yourself exposed to more of it for sure, but be open, take the breath, embrace the chaos, hug it. Every great inspirational story starts where you don't know how it's going to turn out. When you create your story, face the unknown, bring the curiosity, fire the creativity, you're hugging the chaos, being open to the new. So hug it. Be open. Take a breath. What happens next? It might just inspire you. You ready to take a breath? Then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 182 of PR's This Old Marketing. Recorded Monday, May 8th, 2017, and with me as always is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the most inspirational guy in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? You know, you've uh, you've had some amazing compliments for me the last couple episodes. Like, what did I do to deserve this? I you're am, just I, you. You're just you. It's because my birthday's coming up. That you're, you're my just, friend. Your 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 birthday <laughs> present to me is just nice words. No, there's nothing. There's it, nothing better that you could do than that. I, look, man, I know where my bread is buttered. Okay, <laughs> so I, oh, I, if God, there is oh one God. thing that I am really good at. It's sucking up. It's it's it's. I know how to do that really well. Well, that's the one area that you and I are really. I mean, that's that's probably my best thing that I do that because I I I usually get into trouble and do something wrong and then yeah. But my reaction to that is always a winner. Like yeah, I, I'll there get out go. of it. <laughs> <laughs> you were the kid who got out of like trouble with your parents. Because it was like you know you could you you snuck out, but then you were like you charmed your way back in. I had I did the stupidest things. Like I didn't. I remember one time I was probably like six years old, and my uh, <clears throat> my grandfather owned a funeral home, and he just put an ad in the paper, in the newspaper, and for some reason I went to every one of our neighbors' houses on the street, and I took their paper and I cut out the ad, <laughs> and I, I brought and I had like. I don't know, 50 ads. <laughs> Just like, wow, look, I, I did this. And my See, mom and dad are like, are you, what is wrong with you? But, but, here, but here's the thing. That's a brilliant marketing move. That's a brilliant marketing move. Why? Because when they get the paper, they're like, there's the, no what's ad missing? there? Yeah, what's, no, what's missing? What, what am I missing? And so they start looking for what they're missing. And so they call the paper going, hey, there's this wonderful thing that I'm missing. 
and I need to know what it is. And then they go, well, it's this advertisement for so da, 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 da. Somebody should do that. It's my, well, Somebody it, was, should. it was my early days into publishing. I mean, who knew that it was going to turn into, into this? <laughs> <laughs> Stealing newspapers and cutting out That's ads. a gutsy ad right there. Oh, and my goodness. To actually cut out the ad. Yeah, I don't, it's like, it's silly. I think I still have them, actually. I mean, what are you gonna? What are you gonna do? Gonna give him back? I'm sorry, <laughs> I stole ad this back. ad out of your newspaper. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> so stupid. It's like uh, taking somebody's mail and then taking their stamps. It's like what? Or it's like or taking their mail, junk mail. No, stamps you're, no, you're taking their junk mail, right? <laughs> it, it's so God Almighty. So, anyways, I know we. Uh, we have lots of things to do today as we record this on, on Monday afternoon. So I don't know if you want to we get do into the news, but if you do, let's, let's do. Yeah, let, let us get there. We have some fun stories this week. Um, and the first one comes to us courtesy of TechCrunch. This one is just a fun. It was sent to us by a few people, but um, I happen to notice because I subscribed to TechCrunch and, and saw this. Do you this really? Is really? You're I a do. subscriber. I'm, of course. Wow. Oh, yeah. TechCrunch. Yeah. I've all, I bet it goes back to my startup days. Yeah, it goes and back to my it, startup days. It, is it still valuable? Is it still uh, as valuable? It goes as it up was? and down. It yeah. goes. It, yeah, TechCrunch goes. It used to be a lot better. I'll say that. Um, they they the quality at TechCrunch has has. You know, I mean, look, it, 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 like many publishers, they've gone to the sort of clickbaity sort of stuff sometimes. Um, and I think the meat of the articles has gotten a little fatty, if if you will, but. You know, it's it's still a good publication. I I look. I've been a subscriber. Goodness gracious, since oh ten years now. I mean, so wow. you know, it's yeah. Well, good. This is great because you're a subscriber. You just tell me if there's something interesting. I'm <laughs> just going to use you as my human filter. Well, I use the the thing that the the really valuable thing with TechCrunch is their crunch base. Is their you know yeah. where they sort of keep track of all the startups and stuff like that. It's really 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 good. Okay, so sorry to cut you off. It's all right, quite all right. Let's it, hear the story. It's quite all right. The article comes to us courtesy of TechCrunch, and the uh, headline is Whirlpool acquires Yumly. So here we go, folks. Get your seatbelts on because here we are in our ride here. The article opens up by saying, Some consolidation in the world of subject-specific search and social networks as legacy players from the world of white goods, I love how they describe Whirlpool here, the world of white goods, makes a play for a wider audience. The Whirlpool Corporation, the world's largest home appliance maker, founded back in 1911, has acquired Yumly a visual and semantic recipe search engine and aggregator with 20 million users, which also lets you create shopping lists and, in some locations, order food for delivery and equipment to make a meal. Um, this <clears throat> is a fan, fa- <clears throat> excuse me, fantastic um, example here, I think, my take anyway, is that this is, here you go, Whirlpool is acquiring a content platform, and I have all sorts of reasons why i think they did it but i would love to get your take mr pulitzi on, oh, yeah. on, on what you think about this i want to hear what you have to say i have a couple takes on it first of all you see you don't know this we're going back in history on uh, on pulitzi here my first job in media was at a radio station called gold 101 i was 18 years old and i did live remotes at mostly county fairs which was fantastic and uh and it was right <laughs> the radio station was right next to Whirlpool uh, manufacturing one of their manufacturing uh, facilities in Clyde, Ohio. So okay. I just I wanted to throw that out because whenever whenever I see Whirlpool, it kind of warms my my heart, if you will. There's a couple things uh, that I want to bring <laughs> up with this one. The first thing is, of course, they're 
able to cut out the distributor here. They can go direct to the audience. You know, build. They purchase an audience for like. From what I read here, 20 million registered users. Which That's is, right. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive. So they have an outlet to not only continue to build that loyal relationship, but but ultimately sell goods and services, I'm assuming. The other thing that's uh, interesting to me, that play, which they don't talk about it too much, but I've been reading a lot on the fact that a lot of these, you know, if you talk about the connected home, Internet of Things, where these... Uh, these these white goods, if you will, are going to be delivering content on a regular basis. And I think that if you have the content platform and then you have the the goods, if you will, that now you have actually something to deliver through that. The, the article doesn't talk about it, but I, outside of the fact that, yes, we're talking about another enterprise purchasing a media company, and that's meaningful in and of itself. But I think the idea that, hey, we can now, we have content to deliver on these platforms. And then the third thing that I thought of is, now, once you start delivering any kind of differentiated experience through these you know, commodity goods, if you will, that opens up other opportunities to monetize, which, you know, then you have all type, all sorts of other things that you can sell because before, if I'm just buying a, a dishwasher, let's say, I'm, 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 just, I'm just washing the dishes. That's all I'm doing. Well, now you can do all sorts of things because it becomes another informational portal. So who knows what else can happen through that? It's like when I was at the Adobe Summit and they were talking about the future of the automobile and they said the least interesting thing that you will ever do in your car is drive it. You'll be doing all sorts of other things. I think this is the, you know, and and Whirlpool's been doing some of this for a while as the article talks about, but I think that's another opportunity besides building the audience, cutting out the distributor. I think it opens up all types of other product and service opportunities with this new experience they're trying to build. So that's that's my take, but I want to hear your take. Well, you've just taken the words right out of my mouth because the, 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 you know, the immediate, so when I saw the headline, the, my first reaction was, oh my gosh, this is a content marketing play, right? This is, you know, this is pure content marketing. They're going after, you know, a Johnson & Johnson, babycenter.com type of platform where they can look at the data, understand how consumers are behaving, go direct to the audience and do and make money while doing it, right? Yeah. And that may still be the short-term play, by the way. It, there's there's, you know, the, the 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 in the short term, they've, you know, the article even says that the the company's going to go they're going to maintain their operations, they're going to do exactly what they've been doing and and all of that because you know, the technology to do what you're talking about basically personalize and or provide, you know, feeds of content into the app, you know, into the appliances themselves may not quite be there yet. Um, Mm -hmm. But when it is, wow, is that going to be really interesting, right? When it actually becomes part of their integrated suite of products that they're offering, right? So why do you buy a Whirlpool, uh, you know, stove or, or a refrigerator or something like that? Well, because you have access to this exclusive content feed and that learns how you cook and that starts to personalize recipes based on what you've got in your refrigerator and what you can actually make and what you've made before and who your family is and all of that sort of thing. It's a it's a really interesting step in that sort of Internet of Things direction. And and if they continue to keep it available, you know, sort of out there on the Internet, right, where you can go out and, you know, and get, you know, whether or not you have a Whirlpool um, appliance or not, you can still take advantage of this. It becomes an amazing data play, right? What, you know, the first thing I did was the math, right? And so I said, oh, it's $100 million and they have 20 million users. 
they 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 valued it at five dollars a user, which is which is cheap. Pretty, it's which is really cheap if you think about it. Yeah. And if you look at the valuation of Whirlpool and the amount of money that they spend on advertising and marketing, this a hundred million dollar acquisition, which is a company by the way that is making money, so it's not just a hundred dollar acquisition. This is actually an acquisition that has revenue behind it that can theoretically pay for itself over time. You mean like that, marketing as a profit center? Is that what you're well, talking about? Yeah. There, I mean, somebody should write a, Somebody might want to write a book about that or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because the article even says that Whirlpool said the deal would have no material impact because right. their revenues are $21 billion and this is a $100 million purchase. Now, yes. It's, exactly. It's, it's not – it's – not significant. It's not insignificant. It's just another per, uh, purchase. But I think the fact is, is that this will actually add profit and add to the valuation of the company, even though they're saying it's no material impact. It is down the road, if not today, will add to the profits of the company. So, anyways. yeah, it's 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 an amazing. You know, it, it's it, it's 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 quite an amazing thing when you look at it in context of where you know where their where their ad spend is and what they you know what they do from a marketing standpoint and trying to reach different audiences you know i just i just looked up what their ad spend was and what i found was you know in in 2013 in uh, they spent almost 100 million dollars um in uh in 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 just ads just regular ad spend right okay. just just ad spend just media spend was 100 million bucks that was in 2013 so, well, it, and we're going to talk about it in you know a couple articles from now. We can go into more detail, but this is this is just the tip of the iceberg that we're yeah. gonna we're, we're gonna see more. I, what I love about this deal, even though we talk about the Aero Electronics deal, which is the same type of thing, they purchased fifty one media properties. They were all profitable. This one I like is because it's coming from Whirlpool. Gen, you know, it's a old line manufacturer Here been around go. since right. nineteen eleven. They're trying to reimagine what Whirlpool is. And uh, and this is exciting. So yeah. I think we're gonna we, we're starting. It seems like every couple of weeks we're seeing this now. So this is sort of we sort of predicted this. So it's nice to see that we're right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always it's always good when we get to go. I, is we it, you know right. being right is better than being wrong. That I is just, correct. I like that. Always. Yeah. Always. Exactly. All right. Moving on to our second uh, article for the show, we are going to uh, feature an article of courtesy of MediaPost.com. And this is another one that we saw coming, and and basically it's it's really interesting to to, to actually read about it, and um, also a, one that was sent to us by a few people on the Twitter feed. Uh, Time, Facebook, and Google accept that they are publishers with responsibilities, says the headline. <clears throat> And the article opens up by saying, with great power comes great responsibility. Okay, it's just time to retire that. I, I think mean, that's like, enough. It's, it's, yeah. it's just enough with that. All Come right, on, anyway. Uncle Ben. Yeah, Spider-Man was, was once told, the article opens up by saying, Facebook and Google could do well with a sit-down with Uncle Ben, who recites the line in the movie. Okay, we get it. All right, so moving on. To get an idea <laughs> of how much power, take a look at the latest report from Zenith Media. It shows Facebook and Google take one in every $5 of ad spend globally. That's an amazing statistic. To give that a figure, that's nearly $80 billion for Google and $27 billion for second place Facebook, well over $100 billion combined in 2016. The article then goes on to talk about how they have now re taken responsibility with the fact that they are now 
publishers that have responsibilities to their readers, and not the least of which is some of the stuff that we've been reading about Facebook lately, about you know how they need to put more you know more uh, checks and balances in about how live video goes out for that one horrific thing that happened with the guy who shot you know that guy on the street and all that kind of stuff so but what did you but what I, I, I from a marketing perspective what did you think about this well i think this is an issue i know google and facebook and the people there take this very seriously you, of course but for the majority of the time that those companies have been around you've heard the mantra being <clears throat> hey we don't create the content Right. The content is user generated. It's generated by other people and other corporations, and thus we don't have responsibility for it. Now, what's important? And there's a valid, and that's a valid thing for them to come out with because admitting they have responsibility. You know, this goes all the way back to Google. I can remember this debate happening with Google and YouTube back in the really early days, like 2000. You know. Well, mid two thousands, let's say, um, and and where there was a real debate over whether they should actually filter before stuff goes live, and they 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 basically said no, we're not going to do that because that means we have responsibility, right? Yeah. We have we have legal responsibility for what's up there. So if somebody put this was all copyright, you know, issues at the time. It was if somebody puts up something that has copyright issues, well, now it's our fault, right? Because we actually filtered it. So they have valid reason for not wanting to take responsibility. The question is, should they? Well, if you look at the definition of a media company <clears throat> and you look at the history of a media company, that that's where it doesn't matter where the content comes from. If you if your content is driven by user-generated content and you still put it all together in a package and present that to a user base, you're still a media company. It doesn't matter whether or not it's user-generated or not. That's why, yes, it's sort of the slippery slope, if you will, but the fact is they have to take responsibility over it because it's – they're presenting content to an audience and delivering that content that uh, content on a regular basis, and they're monetizing that through advertising for the most part, which is the number one way that media companies monetize their business models. So they, if it smells like a media company, <laughs> walks right. like a media company, talks like a media company, it's a media company. That's so right. I think you're right. It is challenging, but I think we have to continue to talk about this because – they are all i think they are ultimately risk they have to be if they're not responsible for it who is yeah it's a it's 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 a really interesting question cuz i mean even in one of my raves later we'll talk about this you know as as the companies themselves start to get into the original content business right so facebook's getting into the original content business google is certainly getting into the original content business and using their networks to actually be the distributor of that original content it's like how much original content does there need to be before you actually become a media company right you know so you know if, if facebook starts original programming and still maintains well it's really just the users putting up the content it's like no you you are too and so to your point it's like if if they're not going to be responsible ultimately for what's going on their channel then and 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 they're taking advertising dollars as a as a you know as a means of remuneration for that then who is right it, it's 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 a fascinating discussion really and 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 one we've never had really had to have in in our history well and i think that it doesn't matter when the, when you do create more original content you start to think oh yeah they're that's a media company but i don't think it matters 
Like if you're, oh, really? if, okay. I, I think that if you, I think that when Facebook started day one, when users started to create content and they were presenting that content to a user base, they became, they were a media company. Like maybe not, I mean, there's different ways to look at it is how does that company present itself? Does it, does it um, deliver valuable content or deliver content to an audience on a regular basis? That's one way to look at a media company. The other way is the business model. The majority of the, of the time, the business model is based on subscriptions or advertising. Well, they fit both. They fit both both the sniff tests. They Facebook pass, and so does Google. By the way, yeah, I, I, I you can I make the argument. You can make the argument that it's different, but if you you'd said, be wrong. Oh, yeah, if you, <laughs> let's say let's say you and I are going to start a magazine, right. and all the content in the magazine is created by other people, and right. we edit that or we don't, it doesn't matter. We are delivering that to an audience, and even though we don't create any of that content, doesn't matter. Still, media company, I, or whether think, or not you and I write it all, still the same. To, yeah, I, I, I hear you. To me, it's when it's it's when the money changes hands. To me, because you know, to take this to a sort of all the way down to like a a the you know the sort of most analog um, example I can think of. If I bought a football stadium. And I just sort of said, hey, everybody can, you know, anybody or everybody can come into this football stadium and you can do shows, you can play football, you can do whatever you want, and you can attract an audience in there to watch you do it. And at that point, I'm not a media company, right? I'm, or, or at least there's an argument to me you're that I'm venue. not a media company. You're I'm a like venue, a ven- yeah, right? A I'm ven- just a venue that allows free speech to happen in my venue. But the thing is, when I start paying you, when I start noticing that you who come in and do a concert in my stadium and you attract a lot of people and I can monetize that by paying you a little bit of money because I can sell a sponsorship to that and I can take a cut of that. Well, now, now to me, now that's when I've become a media company because now I'm actually making, now I'm actually selling the idea of what it is that's happening in my stadium, not just access to it. Yeah, so you're basically saying it's all about the business model, and yes. before they monetize it, it doesn't matter. You're really well. I don't know if it doesn't matter, but but what I mean is is that I I, I believe the case that they're not a media company until they actually monetize it, and and when once they monetize the content and start paying the people, then you know and start and basically what they're doing then is subsidizing the creation of original content, right? Because you know, for many of those YouTubers or brands or whoever, you know, they're not going to create content in their venue unless they're getting paid. Um, you know, and so that that sort of tra- that's when it transforms for me. I really respect your viewpoint. I think it's wrong. But <laughs> 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 I think from day one. Yeah, they've both been media companies, and they and that's and I think that's the issue, right? Because they want to push back. They want to say that they're a technology company and not a media company. Outside of the valuation difference, they right. absolutely want to say they're a technology company, and they want to say hands off, you know, freedom of speech, all that kind of stuff. We don't have control over it. We're just there to whatever. And right. I think that the fact that we're the, they would provide a venue is what they're saying as a technology well, company. We have the technology that builds a virtual venue. Yeah. But then now and, to your point, the fact that they're sucking almost near every, you know, every billion dollars worth of advertising and sponsorship dollars. And the only reason why the advertising industry is still growing today is because yeah, of right. Facebook and Google and not everyone else. They're taking most of it. Now is the time where you have two organizations with way too much power and 
They can do things like shift sentiment in elections, let's say. That's right. That's so right. You know, I, well, you know I, what they say, Joe. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> let's just – maybe we should just call, like, Facebook Uncle Ben. Yeah. From now on. <laughs> hey, right you been on Uncle Ben lately? Yeah. <laughs> Not very often. Oh, anymore. there's a joke right there. Yeah, I'm exactly. Not, I'm, go. I'm not going near that. Yeah, let's just let's, let's just, just move it. on well, to I think our we just last have, story. We just have to keep up the conversation because yes, it's a serious absolutely. Issue. Yeah. All right. Um, our last uh, story for the show here um, comes to us courtesy of Ad Age, <clears throat> and this was a fascinating report. If you uh, you know you can do a little Google foo and. Uh, there might be ways to get around this, but otherwise you're going to be paying Forrester some bucks here. Um, the article opens up the headline is Forrester Research Sees Advertiser Revolt as the Beginning of the End. Um, the article opens up by saying, Moves by big advertisers to pause spending on Google, audit media buying and demand greater accountability will at least dent the rise of digital ad spending and hasten what Forrester is calling the end of advertising as we know it in a report to be released today. That was just this last week. Um, Google's recent street meeting revenue results, despite those spending pauses that began in mid-March, may take digital ad spending growth look inevitable. But Forrester isn't buying it, projecting big advertisers will pull around $2.9 billion out of digital advertising over the next year. So my question for you, Mr. Pulitzi, is do you buy it, and where are they going to put all that money? I don't. I totally disagree with this article. I, <laughs> told, I totally disagree with their finding. There's no Big advertisers may pull $2.9 billion out of traditional media companies, but they're still going to spend a boatload of it. And we just talked about it on Google and Facebook. That's growing right. like crazy. That is not slowing down at all. Anything that is pulling back off of the traditional side is going to go to the, whatever you want to call it, social side, technology side, whatever. It's still happening. So I think that this is, I think it's wrong, first of all. The second thing is, let's just say, for example, that they're right. Let's just say that we do see a little bit of this happening. This is just basic diversification, in my opinion. So we've talked about this on this show before. If you look at content creation and other helpful value-driven activities, because that's what the article talks about, that that uh, advertisers, enterprises are putting more into helpful tools and content and helpful experiences. Well, that from a spending standpoint is the size of Pluto. It's not right. even a planet. It's so small. And then you have the sun, which is advertising spending. And all they're doing right now, like if you just look at the history of marketing spend, is you're just looking, hey, we're going to diversify a little bit. So let's say they take some of those rays from the sun and move it over to Pluto, and maybe it becomes the size of Mars. Still pretty small compared to the sun, right? But that's that's I think that's what's happening right now. And we could talk about, and you and I do in the book, uh, where, yes, consumers have the power now. Big media companies and big brands don't have the can control the conversation like they used to. Yes, that's a contributor to it. Google's a contributor to it. Facebook is a contributor to it. But we're not even close to this happening yet. So that's my – I think this is way out there. And this is like a, oh, print is dead or, oh, radio is dead or advertising is dead that we saw 30 years ago. It, I think it's the same old thing. So I don't know if you have a take. I, I do. I do, as you might expect with it being from Forrester Research, and, and I agree with you. I, I, I think, you know, as is most things Forrester, well, 
I think this is Forrester being the the Forrester version of clickbaity um, and and trying to get you know to to spark a conversation here. So um, I take it with a grain of salt um, with that and and you know. Um, you know that the when I when I when I read it and I and I and I and I hear their point of view on it, I, you know this is this is research firm sort of ivory tower thinking at its finest, right? Where it's they're they're five years too early for this prediction. Um, you know, I do think that it ultimately advertise digital advertising and banner advertising, what we classically call advertising today, will change and evolve. The thing is, I think it will happen in such a way that that it, you know, as I've said before, it's not the ad unit; it's what goes into the ad unit, right? And so, where you know, so paying for placement on other publishers' media is not going away. I don't think ever. Um, so whether that now becomes the definition of advertising, in other words, whether native advertising, what we sort of classically call native advertising today, just yeah. becomes advertising. And we start putting helpful, interesting things in the ad unit rather than, you know, buy now in the ad unit. I think that's the more that to me, that's the conversation. And so when you start looking at the shift of money from shell to shell, I don't think you're going to be able to see it. In other words, we're not going to track whether or not we put more money into Facebook ads versus Facebook content. It's just going to be, you know, we're putting money into Facebook. And, you know, and it's the same. Now, I do believe that there will be an increase to your point about the size of Pluto. I absolutely do believe that at some point, and we can see this happening even to the extent that we see, you know, companies like Whirlpool buying Yumly, that owned media as a percentage of marketing budget will grow. Yes. um, and, And become, and to the point of our book, will become a more profitable part of the marketing, what we classically call the marketing organization. But to say basically advertising or paid placement of content in another publisher's media is dead or even dying, I think is mistaken. I think it's just evolving in, in what we actually put into that bucket of content rather than the actual process itself. You know, I love, I love that take because what was it four weeks ago or whenever we was, we talked about snaps initial public offering. And we talked about the fact that it's harder for them to grow like a Facebook because the advertisers have to take so much more time and That's care right. into the message. That's because right. it's not like an interruption based message. It's like it really has to be targeted and relevant and helpful and interesting. And you don't have to do that on Facebook and Google. You don't have to do that on other media properties where you're just schlepping an ad up there and saying, We're great and here are discounts and all that stuff, but you can't do that on Snap. So exactly. that's I think that's kind of the future of advertising and so it's great for snap that they have that but the problem is they just can't grow fast enough because most advertisers aren't ready for that pivot yet well they're not ready for that they're not ready for the the the, you know to 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 sort of back off of the quote-unquote scale question right which is we have to you know we have to throw as much stuff out there as we possibly can because we're trying to you know that's where the inefficiency comes in right is where we as brands as businesses they're more interested in actually getting reach and paying for the inefficiency that is digital advertising today. They're actually paying a tax, yep. you know, on the inefficiency of scale across digital media rather than sort of slowing down and saying, let's do something interesting. Let's create interesting content and maybe pay for the placement of it some places. But let's let's create, you know, let's slow that down and not scale. 
And I think that's the more interesting future over the next five years rather than sort of the decrease of digital advertising. What, what, was, the, what was the stat that you shared a couple of weeks ago? Was it seventy percent deliverability? Yeah, it's the IAB. It's not my. It, it's it's an IAB stat, right? It's it's it, IAB came out um, and said, which is the Internet Advertising Bureau, and they basically said seventy percent. This is a year and a half ago. Now they came out with this stat and said seventy percent viewability on ads is as good as it's going to get. That's basically you should accept that now as the new normal is seventy percent with ad blockers and fraud and bots and all that stuff, and basically that means. That any digital ad buy now, you have to be willing to accept a thirty percent tax, you know, you're, uh, on your media buy because you're certainly not getting sold seventy percent viewability. So, you know what 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 you're getting sold is based on what they would project to be a hundred percent viewability, but you're not going to get it. And so, if you believe Google, by the way, Google says fifty six percent. So, oh, you know, it's it's uh, it's 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 a crazy world out there, and it's just getting less efficient. And so that's in many cases why we're putting more money in. It's not because digital advertising is getting better; it's because we have to pour more money in to get the exact same result. It's kind of like near beer, or like yeah, uh, <laughs> right, right. It's like you're well, just, I'm just. I've just finished a piece on this. I'm writing a piece for this for the CMI blog, um, and some of the research we did. And I'm calling it the you know. Do you are you, well? You're you're an investment guy. You know what an inflation hedge is, right? Uh, no. So an inflation hedge. So an inflation hedge is when you, when you, when you, when you make an investment in something like gold, right? Because all your other investments are subject to uh, inflation, mm-hmm. and so, so that you counteract the theory is you counteract the inflation of the investments that you have in, you know, some, you know, some other commodity or some other thing, and you hedge it with a hard valued, you know, commodity like gold or Got something it. like that, so that okay. you hedge your bets right on the inflation. And so what, what we're doing now with advertising is an inflation hedge or, or what would you, excuse me, what we're doing now with content is really an inflation hedge. The challenge is, is that what we're doing is we think we're investing in gold. In other words, we're, we're creating all this content thinking we're hedging against the, the bet of advertising and the inefficiency there and the inflation there. But the problem is, is that we're mining sand, right? We're not, we're not really investing in mining gold. We're investing in mining sand because we're not paying that much attention to it. That's your Pluto thing, right? We're not really investing in gold. We bought one gold coin and we think, hey, we're now invest. No, you're not. If you want to really hedge your bets here and do an inflation hedge, you really need to invest in content, like really need to invest in it. And that's the, well, that's that's the, the piece I'm writing. That's what we talked about. Was it last episode where we talked about the Heineken? Exactly. And yeah, it's the same thing, right? We, we talked about, hey, this is a great thought, but there, this is a one-time thing. Is this right. really going to make any impact? They're not putting anything behind it from a long-term consistency standpoint. So, yeah. Well, speaking yeah. of long-term <laughs> consistency, I just want to point out that our show sponsor this week is a longtime friend and family of this show. Oh, my goodness. Yes, we love, uh, we love Bright Cove. We've loved Bright Cove for a very, very long time, and they're doing such a great job. With, we love you, Bright with Cove. With their video service. Um, and with eight to t- eight in ten consumers engaging with brands on social media, that's eighty percent for for all you guys out there. And three in four consumers linking social media viewing to purchasing decisions. That I didn't know. That's three in good. four consumers linking social video viewing to purchasing decisions. 
Uh, we exam, Brightcope examines how brands can make the most of this opportunity. And they have a new um, ebook out, which is fantastic. You've got to check this out. It's called The Science of Social Video. So if you're doing anything with video and you're involved in social media, which it seems 80% of you are, you're going to want to download this um, ebook, The Science of Social Video, to learn how to turn social video views into value. And you can go to cmi.media slash PNR 182. And what they do in this, Robert, is they're incorporating the responses of uh, 5,500 viewers across the U.S., U.K., France, Germany, and Australia. And this report offers not only a fascinating snapshot into the evolving world of social video, but also a glimpse at the benefits for those brands who are able to turn it to their advantage. CMI.media slash PNR182 to download the science of social video. And special thanks to our good friends at Brightcove for sponsoring this episode of This Old Marketing. That's fantastic. It I is. love the Brightcove people. They're it just is so, wonderful. It's so good. And I mean, and of course, they're, they're in the video business and they're doing a nice educational piece about video. So it, you know, it makes sense. Video killed the podcast star. Video killed the podcast star. All right. Maybe not. I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing on that. <laughs> All right, then. Let's move along, shall we, to our favorite part of the show, which uh, you also love, and it's our rants and rave section, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel inspired, like we're, oh, like we're LeBron James in the championship game, or like we're feeling like we're banging our head against the wall with the worst writer's block we've ever had in our life. Um, And so let's see, I have this old marketing, so I'm going first. You're going first, you got it. And so I have three very short uh, raves to uh, talk about, and they will be very short and in keeping with the theme of the show. Um, so the first is a ha-ha, we predicted it, ha-ha, we predicted it, um, which is, and, and by the way, thank you so much today, actually, to, and I'm going to try and pronounce this name, uh, Sigrid Dufremont. Uh, I think, uh, radio girl, R R R radio girl, G R R R L girl at radio on, on Twitter. Thank you for sending this over, Sigrid. Um, and, uh, um, it's, um, a wonderful article from CNBC that basically says, and this is breaking, I guess, Facebook plans to launch its own TV shows in June. And so they're now announcing that they're going to – so remember us talking about this not too long ago, about a couple of months ago, I think we were talking about that expect Facebook to uh, launch a TV-like show and network on their platform. Um, And so here it comes. And so there you go. Um, The second is a very quick rave here um, about – this comes uh, courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. All these links, by the way, we're going to put in the show notes. Um, The Wall Street Journal, we also talked about this on this show, Airbnb teaming with Hearst on a magazine – um, guided by the travel data here. And, the, and, and remember, I don't know if you remember, Joe, on the show, we were basically chiding Airbnb a little bit like, dude, can't you be remarkable more than one time a year? Yes, um, I remember well, that. Well, they they've, they've announced that they're going to increase publication of it. Um, and so they're launching May with a um, uh, they've already got their guaranteed circulation subscribers of 350,000 subscribers. They're charging for the magazine. Um, it's got 45 pages of advertising, 399 cover price, so I can't imagine this isn't going to make money. And then they've got a second issue slated already for September. And if they if they if they're popular, they're going to have a, a robust uh, monthly schedule in 2018. 
And so there, here it comes, wow. and it's just awesome. I, but my favorite part of this article is where the Mr. Chesky, um, who is from Airbnb, basically says, "Yeah, we don't care if it makes money. We're just there to talk about air, you know, travel and and all that kind of stuff." And the person from Hearst goes, "No, no, no, no. It needs to make money. That's right. That's why <laughs> Hearst is in it. Hearst, Hearst is not so, doing it because oh, they yeah. want to grow Airbnb." Yeah, they're in it because they're getting paid. It's really great. The two quotes that they and they appear right next to each other, and they're just awesome. No, no, it's about the money. Well, I'm assuming Um, that I'm assuming that Hearst is doing that because they're they could be taking on the risk with the publication, and then if they get to a certain level, they'll give a kickback to Airbnb. That's sort of like how an airline magazine works. Yeah, exactly. That's I'm almost. I'm almost positive that's yeah. exactly the model. It's the airline magazine model yeah, there. Exactly. And lastly, um, I will tell you, this is another article from the Wall Street Journal, um, and the headline of it is BuzzFeed and Mondelez bringing healthy food videos to the masses. Now, this is a really interesting article, I thought, um, because we also talked about this on this show. We've talked about how Mondelez is one of those brands that is actually using content as a profit center in their business, um, and they're doing through through partnerships. They're doing that through partnerships with other brands like BuzzFeed and, and feature film companies and television companies, etc. So Mondelez launched this thing, this video um, called Goodful. Um, and basically, it was this wonderful sort of property of videos um, that has, you know, like four ways to make healthy pancakes and, and those kinds of things. And in every clip, basically, they would have a quick shot of whatever product, you know, that Mondelez made as sort of the, you know, sort of source of the recipe. But then the rest was just a recipe. And I guess it's become so successful. And this is where there's just something going on here that we don't know. They're actually giving it back to BuzzFeed. Mondelez is giving it now they're going to be the exclusive sponsor here but they're basically taking the operation of Goodful and sort of saying here BuzzFeed you take it all and I'm so the the article does note that both the head of content for Mondelez is now working for BuzzFeed and Mondelez has lost their head of marketing their CMO of late so I'm wondering if there's something there but there's uh, there's something else there that's going on because you get to the art end of the article and you're like why are they giving up such a hugely popular platform as this goodful thing to BuzzFeed and to just to simply become the exclusive sponsor of it? I don't know, but it's a, just a really interesting article. And I think it's one that we should just note in our, you know, in our, in our content marketing. Oh, interesting. You know, yeah. We'll have, to, we'll have to get back to that one and check yeah. and see, see what happens. Yeah. So. Anyway. So those are my, those are my three quick rays here. They're, they're mostly raving about us and how awesome we are and predicting stuff. <laughs> I, I didn't know we were a futurist podcast, yeah, but now I'm starting are. to think we are. So, yeah. uh, so, yeah. so I have a, I, again, this is, I guess this is a happy show. Um, I have a very brief rave today. I had the pleasure of taking my two sons, to see an evening with author John Green. Are you familiar with John Green? I, oh, oh my gosh, am I familiar? Okay. Yes, love so, John Green. He was fantastic. John is, for those of you that don't know, uh, John is the author of Paper Towns, Looking for Alaska, The Fault in Our Stars, and that's a that's my favorite. Oh, okay. Fault, well, yeah. the and a lot of people don't know this. Also, a great content ink model example. That's right. In his own that's right, exactly. uh, John and his brother started the Vlog Brothers in two thousand seven. Yep. And have amassed quite an audience, mostly of um, of teenagers and younger folks, which uh, just happens to be the audience for his books. Uh, John has 3 million subscribers on his YouTube blog and regularly has over a million views per episode. So my rave comes from a question asked by a fan. So so what basically what John did, he, he went through 
kind of his history. He has a history of mental illness, which I didn't know, and kind of went through that whole thing and, and how his writing came out of some of that and some of the challenges he had growing up and those things. And at the end of the presentation, uh, which is sponsored by the Cuyahoga County uh, Library System, uh, he took questions from fans, and one of these fans came up and asked a question. And the question went something like this, that the young woman said she was an aspiring writer and she doesn't think very highly of her work. So she asked John, when will I know my work is good enough to be published? And John's answer was, you won't. <laughs> you won't. You never will. <laughs> right. Uh, it might be like all these very negative about it. But then he went on and said, you know, he, he talked about how he's ne- he's never believed his work was anywhere close to where he wants it to be. Uh, he was putting down his work as, as a substandard writer throughout the presentation, which I thought was interesting, and that his his writing was never perfect, but that his goal was to learn and get better. He's a very curious person, and he's like, look, you, you do the work, and you just become the, the best writer you possibly can. And he talked about not waiting for perfection, and that sometimes you just have to publish warts and all. And he talked about how uh, writers become better because, in a lot of cases, because they are so self-discriminating toward their own work. They have this drive to become better. And he also said that all of his own writer friends are pretty much the same way. You know, they they think they're they're not very good writers, but they do the best they can. And I think this is a great lesson for content marketers. You know, there's no such thing as perfection. And as Seth Godin always says, the most important thing you can do is ship consistently over time and don't wait for per- perfection because it will never come. But I thought that that was interesting advice because a lot of the writers and marketers, content marketers that you and I work with, Robert are so focused on editing and getting it just right and it has to be perfect and whatever and you just have to remind yourself that you do the best you can there's no perfection it's better to get it out there get the feedback and and keep moving forward consistently I love so, that yeah I, I love that I love, you know what it, it reminds me of that uh, one of my favorite quotes of all time which is and I can't remember who said it off the top of my head but it's the courage isn't about being unafraid courage is about being afraid and then doing the thing anyway that's right, right. I love that know, yeah you know it's it's wonderful. All right, so this old marketing. All right. Um, I, last week I went to this really cool event um, called the Learning Economy Summit, and it was ostensibly a content marketing conference, but it was really this conference focused and 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 big thanks by the way to the folks at the Big No, that's K N O W, um, who hosted me and and I was a keynote speaker there, and it was just a really cool conference. But it was all these brands that were basically creating educational platforms. Um, and uh, for their and so they were all content marketing platforms, but really focused on education as a as a means of delivering value. And one of the uh, persons that I happened to get to meet was the CMO of United Health, um, which, by the way, is Fortune Six company. They are the Fortune. Yeah, oh my They're gosh. the sixth largest company in the world, or the, or in the Fortune five hundred list, anyway. And fascinating guy. And he told the story about how they have really gone all in with uh, content, um, really focused on education as a means of driving better brand um, relatability with their very, very large company. And so two years ago, so this isn't really a really old, this old marketing, but it's been in existence for two years since uh, early 2015. Um, and they launched what they called the Becoming Dr. You course. 
Um, and uh, it was right at the beginning of 2015 when they launched it. And the what they did was they 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 got this guy, Dr. Reed Tuxen, who also I got to see you know in some of the sample videos and and their instructional courses, which they showed at the event. Who's just wonderfully charming. Um, he's a physician. He's got four decades of experience. And basically, he they've created all of these channels really focused on mostly baby boomers um, and really help, you know, really focused in on the health of baby boomers and helping people put their own health in their own hands. And they've got wonderful, wonderful content. So they've got a whole introduction. In other words, meeting Dr. You, in other words, introduction to you as a person, right? Who you are, what Mm -hmm. you do, you know, what your body does and all this kind of what's normal, what's not normal, you know, the signs of aging, you know, what, you know, what you should be basically paying attention to. Then they have a lifestyle channel, which is how you can make simple changes to behaviors in your life, um, attitudes, you know, your habits, eating, nutrition, you know, diet, staying active. Then they've got a home and family network, a set of courses, which are tips to making your home healthier, like how to do the bathtub thing and how to make a personal safety, you know, around your, you know, with alarms and, and those sorts of things. And then they've got the last channel, which is medical needs, which are helping you basically make really smart medical decisions about your life. And these are all sort of courses that you can take through this becoming Dr. You thing. That is self, they're all they're self-paced. Um, that you can all complete all the courses within four weeks. So if you look at it there, that's four different courses over the course of four weeks. That's basically sixteen weeks of material there, um, and uh, you're expected to engage about one hour a week in each class that uh, that you take. And they've been doing this for two years um, now, and th- this is my favorite part of it, where they've started to look at the results. Over the course of the last just two years, right? This is this is basically um, uh, the last twenty four months. They're now up to twenty five thousand subscribers. Wow! And they've been doing uh, surveys with all of their because they treat it like a product, and they've been doing surveys with all of the people who've come out of the the course who are really activated and also starting to teach their own friends about this and pass it along. They've got a 97% satisfaction rate on the actual courses themselves. Um, and uh, each, uh, the average um, uh, of consumption across every uh, every sort of major course is more than 71 minutes. So they're getting 71 minutes of time with their brand in front of their, you know, with their, with their audience on average um, with these uh, 25,000 subscribers. And I just think it's an amazing... Uh, example of a big company doing something really interesting um, in an innovative way to drive really great value for for an audience. Oh, that's that's fantastic! So you uh, the the conference was good though the event the conference was great. Yeah, it was great. It was a one day sort of. Um, I got to hear people from the AARP, from United Health, from a few other brands um, talk about their uh, educational platforms that they're doing. Some really interesting agencies I met there that are really starting to focus on this building big online courses for uh, for their customers. Talking about certification, how it's really sort of a, a really interesting idea to provide. Like they, there was this tire company that started to provide a level of certification for becoming a uh, mechanic, um, and they had a whole online course about um, becoming a mechanic and becoming certified. And it's the the brand as certifier of education is a really interesting trend that they started to point out where. 
brands are almost more trusted now from a certification standpoint than some schools. And it's a it, you start talking about that and the level of trust that we have with media, education, and brands, it starts to becoming a, a really interesting conversation. Very, very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, are you traveling this week? I am, actually. I am off tomorrow for my yearly sojourn out to Sundance with my Oh, nice. It's that time of the year group. again. Wow. Yeah, it's that time of the year. So I'm off for the next three days into Sundance, into the mountains to to uh, soak up and do some brain yoga and really think big ideas. So hopefully coming back with some... The last time I did this, I came back with a book and wrote a book. So, <laughs> so, so there, there you go. Wow, that'd be a that'd be a quick book after the one you just wrote. So yeah, no, not, not well, I guess I should say two years ago was when I sort of the two years ago was when I when I went out there and and came out back with experience. That's so, right. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let me know what the book is. <laughs> if you're going to write another one, uh, I'm I'm here this week, and then uh, we'll have to. We'll have to figure out this old marketing yeah. for next week. I'm I'm yeah. leaving uh, Sunday on Mother's Day actually to go to uh, see some friends in in Belgium. I've got two events that I'll be speaking at there, so I will. Yeah, be it will be up. interesting because I'll be in Australia. So, oh my be, goodness, yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a fascinating oh, discussion. That'll be that'll be fun. So we'll have to we'll produce that at like five in the morning or yeah, something like that, midnight right. or something. Yeah. <laughs> All right, sounds good, my friend. All right, that is it, ladies and gentlemen. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off here. And thank you, thank you, thank you to the wonderful folks at Bright Cove uh, for, uh, for making this little hour of magic possible. Um, and if you like this episode, number 182, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? And if you haven't yet, please do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. We're kind of in a mood to make the top 10 of, uh, of marketing podcasts out there. So kind just help us out there when you leave us a review or if you subscribe let us know won't you hashtag us up on the twitter at this old marketing we'd love to thank you personally for that and of course story ideas story ideas story ideas for this old marketing you can also hashtag us up um, uh, at this old marketing or you know you can send an email this old marketing at contentinstitute.com all the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes as we go to publish on monday night that's tonight um, and in the show post at this old marketing.com on saturdays until next week everybody remember it's your story to tell tell it well we'll see you next week on this old marketing Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.